0: I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 19-in football family. We are back after a few days out, a few days out in Istanbul, covering the UEFA Champions League final. I'll tell you a little bit about my trip. We'll talk... Uh, about, of course, some of the Arsenal-related transfer stories doing the round. And, of course, we will take your questions from the live chat box. Good to see so many of you uh, with me here live. Um, Yeah, how are you? How have you been? It's been a few days. I've been getting a little bit of grief, actually, for the fact that it's been uh, a few days, but rightly so, because I did say that I was going to try and keep the podcast going, at least in kind of some sort of short-term form. We managed to get a couple of videos out during the sort of four or five days that I was out in Istanbul. But it was really, really difficult because because of just the lack of good, solid internet connections. I felt like I couldn't upload from sort of being on the move. I'd have to go back to the hotel and then that would be the evening. And would I have much time to kind of get ready after the day's work to then go out for the evening and do a podcast, etc., etc. So I ended up just putting a couple of short-term Uh, or or short form, I should say, videos out. So those of you that are listening on audio won't have got anything. So I do want to apologize uh, to you guys for that period of time. But listen, I I was really, really busy, Um, managed to spend a bit of time just kind of taking in the city as well, which was really, really nice. Bit of sunshine, you probably tell by the color of my face has changed quite dramatically, which is good. Um, I need it. I need the sun. Um, And so, yeah, to be out there was... uh, was great i am back now though um i was gonna say i was i'm glad to be back i am glad to be back in some ways uh, i'm not glad to have come back to hay fever which just isn't a thing in every other country it seems it's only a problem for me here um just as hot though uh, which is nice as well uh, but yeah brilliant brilliant um glad be back with you all on this live edition of the podcast. Uh, Let's say a few hellos. Uh, Let's say hello uh, to Wes Bird. We've got Umair. uh, We've got Alistair. We've got Zach. We've got Junior Gunner. We've got Damien, who says, thought they kidnapped you on Champions League duties, Harry. (laughs) Uh, Big hello to uh, Halo. We've got Henry. We've got Faluso. We've got Kin, Greenbone. Uh, Zach says, first live stream I've been able to get on in a while. The little one finally let me. Uh, Good to see you, mate. Uh, Westbird says, great to have you back. Thank you. No Choftes, my good friend Stel, says, bravo, Rea. Thank you so much, man. And I just remembered I'm supposed to text you back with with some details about something. Sorry, mate. Uh, Completely, completely forgot uh, about that. I'll make sure I do that today. Um, Leeds Gunner says, how did you hold it together? Talking to the Arsenal legends, memories for a lifetime. Absolutely. Robert says, afternoon, my business partners arrived back from Istanbul last night. So envious. I'd love to see us lift that big trophy. Oh, mate, me too. And the sort of envy towards teams that have managed to go on and win that trophy for me has grown even further. Having been out there and having seen the scenes unfold in front of me, having seen the Manchester City fans traveling their numbers. I'll tell you a little bit about the um, about the trip. Uh, before we dive into the Arsenal chat. I hope you don't mind. Uh, it'll be nice to just kind of chat with you guys a little bit about it um, because some of you will probably be asking the question, you're an Arsenal man, what were you doing out in Istanbul when Manchester City were contesting the UEFA Champions League final uh, with, of course, Inter? Well, I went out there with 90 men. Uh, 90 men who are working with the brand Expedia uh, were putting together some content involving some Champions League legends and i was asked to go and host those interviews which was amazing um, i got to sit down with alessandro nesta for me if not the greatest then certainly one of the top three greatest center backs of my lifetime of my kind of footballing viewership it, it was just amazing um to talk to him such a great guy as well uh, the final cut of the interview is on the 90 min youtube channel you might have seen clips being posted on my social, but you can watch the whole thing there. But it was amazing because I got to talk to him quite a bit before the interview and quite a bit afterwards as well. And he was so down to earth. And when you come across people of that kind of status and they're so down to earth and and so friendly, it's really refreshing. You know, sometimes you come across former footballers and they're not quite as welcoming, as warm as you'd hope they'd be, given, you know, your sort of feelings towards them. Alessandro Nesta was not that he was just excellent from start to finish so that was a real pleasure got to speak to him that day spoke to lots of fans out there as well for 90 min traveled around filming some content around the city as well and then on Friday I got to sit down with Patrick Vieira which from an Arsenal point of view is pretty amazing Uh, we spoke about the Champions League we spoke about his career in the Champions League as well um, that one you can find on Instagram. If you go on 90min underscore football, you'll find it there. So that was great fun too. Saturday was match day. Um, obviously, uh, an incredible experience, uh, to be in and around that. It was just wonderful. And then of course, well, the, the result wasn't wonderful. I'll be honest. I did want Inter to win. I was walking around with an Inter cap, uh, on that day, I have to say. Um, but look, Manchester City win it. I guess before we talk transfers, maybe we should kind of segue slightly towards another discussion point that I wanted to have, which was about this Champions League, about what it means to Manchester City, about the way the rest of the footballing world has sort of reacted to Manchester City winning the Champions League, how the game went itself. I thought in terms of the game, I thought it was much more of a contest than most people expected it to be. From speaking to, to fans out there, even a lot of Inter fans, they felt like City were going to steamroller them, like it was going to be one-way traffic, like it was going to be a very, very difficult evening for them and, and one whereby they could get heavily, heavily beaten. But that wasn't the case. Inter, I thought, defended excellently, didn't really pack enough of a punch up front for me. I know they had a couple of opportunities, particularly towards the end when things got a little bit frantic and desperate and edison made a couple of great saves but i still felt into just lack that cutting edge when it really really mattered um so that was kind of the game as for the manchester city fans you know they get a lot of stick um there was a good i think from sort of talking to people while i was out there about twenty-five thousand of them had made the trip out to istanbul um impeccably behaved i thought You know, we often hear of English football fans going across to other countries, causing problems. It's not just English football fans, by the way. Football fans in general, when they travel in big numbers, tend to cause the odd problem, I have to say, being in and around the fan parks, in and around the city, stadium, etc. I didn't see any of it. I didn't see any of it. Um, I thought they were in great spirits. Were they at the same level as the Inter fans, though? No, I can't say that. They were unreal. Uh, The songs, the colour. you know, the, the the sort of the chance just it's on a different level. It's something really, really special. Uh, so they were fantastic as well. I would say overall, there were more Inter fans in Istanbul than Manchester City. I'd have expected that from beforehand because they are a bigger club. Let's be honest about that um, and have been for many, many years. I thought the organisation of sort of the, the stuff surrounding the tournament was OK. The fan park was really good, I thought, the way it was organised. Um I'm not sure about the travel to the stadium. I'm sure you've all seen stories about that. I'm sure you've all read things, um, heard things, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, um, you know, that that wasn't great uh, from what I'm told. And and obviously there was a there was an opportunity to get a shuttle bus from the fan park for for fans that were ticket holders and from what we could see there was a good two three hour queue to even get on one of those buses and judging by what i heard about the traffic i'd imagine that um some people would have really really struggled even having used that mode of transport so in terms of the overall organization i don't think it was great i thought the fan park was okay but everything else was just a little bit chaotic at times istanbul is a difficult city to get around you know that's a that's a big thing as well made our job quite a bit more difficult i thought when we had to go to different locations it always seemed to take an age to find a cab when you found the cab you didn't know what you were going to be charged you know one would charge you the very top end one would charge you the low end uber was just useless you'd book an uber they'd cancel um you'd get an uber sort of accept the job and then they tell you that they wanted a different price to the one that was being quoted on uber via message and then you had to take a decision as to whether or not you um y- you wanted to go with that or not and yeah so it wasn't it wasn't the easiest place to navigate but it is a beautiful city there's a lot to see lots of sites got some time on one of the evenings to just take a long walk um with the guys and, and have a look around and that was great obviously um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of it really from Istanbul. Um, good trip, enjoyed it. Um, would have preferred to see Inter lift the trophy at the end, but hey, is what it is. A big hello to Ale as well. Um, our man from 90 minute Italia, who was out there with us as well. Star of the show. Um, good to see you mate and a uh, safe flight back. Uh, some of the guys are, are still on their way back from Istanbul, uh, due to Wizz Air. Don't fly with Wizz Air. There you go. Um, that's not an airline you want to be. Uh, dealing with when you're desperate to get back and in a bit of a hurry. But anyway, um, the question I wanted to talk about was, you know, it's one that always comes up when a team wins the Champions League for the first time. Would you swap Arsenal's Invincibles achievement for a European trophy like that? And often I hear Arsenal fans say no, because actually what we achieved was unique, may not be matched ever you know even this great manchester city side over the last few years who have been impeccable have not been able to to manage that achievement of going the entire premier league season unbeaten but i don't really feel that way you know and and i'm going to get shot down for saying this but i really do feel like i probably would just about swap the invincibles achievement for a uefa champions league victory because when you're there and you see what it means to the people that have made the journey and all of that it just It really hits you how big this competition is and how important this competition is and the sort of level of respect that it earns you on a continental sort of stage as well, I think is so important. So, yeah, I I probably just about would, just about would um, lean towards that Champions League. And again, I know I'm going to get absolutely hammered for saying that. How have people reacted to, to Manchester City winning it? Not just winning the Champions League, but completing the treble matching manchester united's achievement of 1999 and from speaking to a lot of city fans out there they really wanted to do that they really wanted that to happen they really wanted to shut down the noisy neighbors someone said to me um which makes a lot of sense you know manchester united will rightly go on about that achievement because what an achievement it was but city have done that now there is a bit of a sour taste i think for a lot of people when it comes to city because of the charges hanging over them, 114, 115 charges, whatever it is of um, financial irregularities have been leveled against them by the Premier League, which would obviously dilute these achievements if they're found guilty. The problem I have with all of this is that we're just in limbo at the moment and you don't really know how to play it. You know, you can sit there and you can really lay into Manchester City and call them this and call them that and say it's a disgrace and they should be stripped of the titles and they shouldn't be allowed to compete and all of this Um, but then if they get found not guilty we'll all look stupid by that same token how can they fully fully enjoy winning the Champions League winning the treble knowing that it could be tainted and knowing that if it does come out in the not-too-distant future that they did breach the rules, in the eyes of the wider footballing world, it isn't going to be acknowledged as being this magical moment. I mean, I didn't watch it on BT Sport, obviously, but I heard lines uh, of commentary that were being sort of tweeted, the greatest underdog story or something in the history of football was something that was said, What? What on earth are you on about? How is it an underdog story? They've been taken over by a state who have pumped in a ton of money to get them to a point where they're able to compete with the very elite in our sport. And here they are with a squad stack full of talent. They've got the best manager in the world, not because they're a massive club and because Pep Guardiola as a kid grew up wanting to manage Manchester City, but because they paid him more than anybody else would. Um, and, and they've got him there. And, you know, he's he's doing a great job, of course. And, and the footballing side is 10 out of 10. You you can't fault Manchester City on that front. But it does feel a little bit tainted. Uh, Tommy says, if I was a City fan, I wouldn't care. Everyone else is just jealous. Maybe you wouldn't. And, and maybe we shouldn't care. You know, maybe we're at a point now where we just have to accept that this is the way football's gone and that the teams that do tend to get taken over by states and have incredible sort of resources and the ability to invest way more than anybody else are going to be able to get the best in class in every position, in every uh, executive position, in every playing position, in every coaching position. And and that's the way football is going to go. There's a point where we kind of just have to go, well, this is the modern game. And I get that. But to me, it just, I don't know, there is that thing in the back of my mind. Maybe that's because I'm not a Manchester City supporter. And maybe if you speak to Manchester City supporters, they'll see it very, very differently. Um, I got chatting to some on the plane back. Um, they were really nice. Um, you know, they were really humble. They were loving the fact that they'd just been to watch their team play in, in the biggest game in European football. and And they'd seen their team come out on top. So they're enjoying it. But there must be this little thing in the back of their minds about what could happen down the line if indeed these charges uh, are found or or, or are pushed through. At the moment, it's just all pending at the moment, which is a little bit frustrating, isn't it? But anyway, uh, let's get back to the Arsenal chat. I realise that we've been speaking for a good 15 or so minutes about uh, Istanbul, Manchester City, the UEFA Champions League final. Uh, But we're back now, which means there'll be a Chronicles of Aguna podcast daily definitely Monday to Friday, sometimes on Saturdays and Sundays as well, depending on on how the news is looking and depending on what's going on. Uh, But we are back. We are ready to go. And I'm looking forward to taking you through another transfer window, which promises to be a a bit of a roller coaster ride. Going to take a very short pause and then we'll be back to talk Declan Rice. We're going to talk Moises Caicedo, Timothy Castagna, Reece Nelson, Federico Chiesa and more. (laughs) Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna on the uh, YouTube channel right now. If you're watching this back, you might be watching it on the YouTube channel, but you might be listening to this on the podcast platforms as well. Uh, If you are listening on podcast platforms, please do leave us a review. If you're on YouTube, I can see I've got over 250 of you with me live right now. We've only got 43 likes on the board. Let's get that up. To come on at least a hundred—that should be light, light work—and we'll push for more a little bit later on in the show. So earlier on in the week, I dropped a short video from Istanbul talking about the Declan Rice stuff. What's the deal with Declan Rice? Arsenal fans hoping they can land him. Uh, lots of talk about Arsenal being the favourites to do it, etc., etc. West Ham having won the Europa Conference League the other day, uh, embarked in some celebrations. Uh, enjoyed themselves. Declan Rice particularly enjoyed himself, judging by some of the video clips, uh, which, of course, he's fully entitled to do. He enjoyed it. He worked hard for it. Great, brilliant. Um, And uh, just a a day or so after that, the West Ham chairman, David Sullivan, came out and said, we are going to let Declan Rice go this summer. Now, at the time, and I said this on the video that I put out, and we discussed this on the Night You mean Show, which we were filming uh, on location as well, we said that we are a little bit surprised, actually, that West Ham had gone so public on this. Look, everybody knows that Declan Rice is going to move on this summer, but the fact that they came out and said it that way, to me, was a little bit strange. It was almost as if they weakened their bargaining position by saying that, because if you, at least publicly, remain adamant that he's staying, then it does give you the ground from which to demand more money. Um, It it, it does, you know, I just think it, it strengthens your position when you go into a room and sit down with an executive from an opposing club, a club that's interested in the player. Now, we all keep hearing over and over again that Declan Rice wants to join Arsenal Football Club, that that's his number one choice at this moment in time. But you do get the feeling that timing with this is going to be really, really important because, you know, Manchester City, for example, would be another contender to sign Declan Rice. Okay, we know they can afford it. We know that they'd appeal to him because of their success and what it would mean for him on an individual level, what he could go and achieve with them, with Pep Guardiola as his boss, et cetera, et cetera. But they've just won the Champions League. They're buzzing, probably haven't got around to making serious moves in the transfer market just yet. So if Arsenal want Declan Rice, you feel like they're going to have to do this in the next couple of weeks before the rest of the Sharks start closing in. I really do believe that. And so it's imperative that the Gunners get a move on. Now, listening to sort of Charles Watts speak the other day and and various other uh, Arsenal reporters, it seems like this week is seen as a week that could be really crucial in getting this deal done. Uh, We understand that the talks have taken place without an official bid having been lodged just yet. But those talks are positive that it's progressing, but that this week is the week where it needs to be stepped up and we hopefully will get a significant update with regards to whether or not Declan Rice will be joining Arsenal this summer. So we really do need to get a move on with this. The more I was thinking about this when sort of being away over the last few days, like we were walking around a lot and you have a lot of time to think. And uh, and I was talking to Boovy, actually, um, when we were walking yesterday. About Declan Rice, and one of the things that I just can't get away from is that a hundred million pounds is is too much money for Declan Rice. The problem is is that when you look at the rest of the market and you look at what play, what clubs are playing, what clubs are paying for certain players, it then becomes difficult to say actually Declan Rice is not worth that because you look at his age, you look at his profile, you look at his versatility within that midfield. You look at all the things he would bring, the leadership, et cetera, et cetera, the homegrown factor, all of that. When you take it all into consideration, you can understand why West Ham are looking for that sort of money. I'm okay with Arsenal spending around about 100 million to land Declan Rice, as long as that isn't the only business they do in midfield, because they need to do more. Now, it doesn't have to necessarily be two 100 million pound players, because we've seen that you can pick up players for 30, 40 million pounds sometimes, That can go on and be excellent, you know, that can come in and make a real difference to your team. We don't need players for tomorrow anymore at Arsenal. It's great to always keep an eye on that and make sure that you're well stocked and, you know, you're healthy in that sense and in that department. But for me, it's about the here and now. We've got ourselves to a point where we're far more competitive than we've been for years. And the only way to get over the line is to go and add players to the equation. They can help us today, not tomorrow, not the day after, but today. Players that are ready, ready made. And Declan Rice is one of those. So if you have to slightly overpay, then I'm okay with that. But we do need more in midfield than just Declan Rice. There had been a lot of talk over the last couple of summers, actually, about Yuri Tielemans. Everybody knew that his contract at Leicester was uh, was going to expire this summer. Obviously, they've been relegated as well. And it looks like he's on his way to Aston Villa. So that is probably not an option for Arsenal at this moment in time. It feels like, from what I've been reading this morning, and I am catching up with a lot of the news because there's so many reports, often just saying the same thing, but in slightly different ways. But I just wanted to kind of siphon through a lot of it this morning before we jumped on and did the podcast. But yeah, you know, in terms of cheaper options, I don't really know where we're looking at the moment. I know that Moises Caicedo is someone we like, someone that we want. Someone that Mikel Arteta admires and has done for a long time. Robert Pires was out in uh, in Istanbul and was talking about the fact that, in his opinion, Arsenal should go out and get Kayseda, whatever it costs. He thinks he's that good a player. But is Raisedo, if you like, still a realistic possibility? I have to say, I don't think it is. And again, people will say, why are you saying that? What's the matter with you? Why are you being negative? I'm just being honest. If you're talking about Declan Rice costing around about 100 million. Now, that might not be all up front, but then you chuck Moises Caicedo into the equation, and you think it's probably going to cost upwards of 70. You think, can Arsenal really go out and spend 170 million plus on two midfield players? I know there's talk of us recouping some money this summer. Granit Xhaka for some, Kieran Tierney for some, potentially the likes of Nuno Tavares, Sambi Laconga who are all out on loan, could be sold. One of Balogun or Nketiah could go. I get all of that, but I don't know. I feel like we're going to end up, I, I feel like the idea is always to get back to that self-sustaining model. And I think I read something this week while I was away that, you know, the the Cronkies are kind of reiterated that, which makes me feel like they're going to start needing to at some point, sooner rather than later probably, balancing out. Um, you know, the the spend with what comes in. And you don't do that if you keep spending and if you bring money in finally, but then you spend even more than you spent in the first place. So it's not that I don't want Arsenal to do those deals. It's not that I don't think Arsenal should do those deals. I'm reluctant to get carried away with this idea, with this notion that Arsenal are going to spend around about £200 million simply on two midfielders this summer. I think we will spend about £200 million, maybe more, but I can't see it all being spent on, on just a couple of players. But we'll see. No real movement with Caicedo as far as we know. Nothing really concrete. Same with Declan Rice. Although with Declan Rice, the noises are getting louder and louder and louder. People suggesting, as I say, that this week could be the key week in that. Uh, but another player that's been heavily linked with Arsenal over the past couple of days, and it came from a uh, Belgian journalist, I think initially, Sasha Tavalieri, is uh, Timothy Castagna of Leicester City. I must admit this was another one of those when you look at it at first glance you go oh for God's sake what are we doing but actually it isn't the worst shout in the world and I'll explain why bear with me because I know a lot of you are really against it judging by what I've seen on social media and and judging by uh, some of the comments uh, I've been reading etc um, etc but anyway look so Timothy Castagna, 27 years old, experienced player, Belgian international, uh, been with Leicester City for a little while now, is on the market because, of course, of their relegation. He's better than the championship, no doubt about that. I think from a technical standpoint, I think he's a very good footballer. I think that he's very fit, gets up and down the pitch a lot um, and has been able to play a massive part, not just at Leicester when he first arrived, but also at Atalanta. Now, I know the system at Atalanta was a little bit different, and I always felt that it got the best out of Timothy Castagna. And I think one of the problems he had was that when he came to England and Leicester weren't really playing that way, I think it did take away some of the gloss from him on a personal level. And I worry that could be the case with this Arsenal side, where we don't play with a with wing backs, where we do play with, at times, a back three because our fullback is in midfield. And at times a flat back four. So I do have reservations about this, but it's one of those where if I think the price is right, then I don't mind having a little punt on this for what it could give to the squad. Now, why do I say that? Well, Timothy Castagna is as experienced as they come, he can play on both sides, which I think is massive. I think this is huge because at times, you know, we've we've been spoiled for options on the left, Zinchenko Tierney and then not had an option on the right due to injuries to Tomiyasu for example. So I think actually Timothy Castagna's versatility is something that I quite like. Um, I rated him 18 months ago. So for me not to rate him now, based on the fact that Leicester had a bad season overall as a football club, would be a little bit harsh, a little bit unfair. I recognize that his stock isn't where it once was. I've heard reports of Leicester wanting north of £20 million for him. Well, if this is a £20 million thing, then no. Not in a million years would I pay £20 million right now to bring Timothy Castagna to Arsenal Football Club. And we've got 101 other things to be looking at and 101 other things that should be prioritised ahead of it. So I don't want him for that price. If you're talking up to around about £10 million, I'm interested in this. I'm interested because it brings versatility to the group. Uh, Luke says in the chat, don't want Castagna, he'd be another Cedric, can't defend him, would be a liability. I think he's better than Cedric, I really do. Um, and, and for that reason, I'm not going to put him in the same bracket as him. We know that Arsenal are are interested in Joao Cancelo as well. Whether that will be able to be done, I don't know from what I've sort of heard over the last couple of days, it feels like the price point is going to be a real issue, but not just that, you know, which would be the first hurdle. The second hurdle would be that Joao Cancelo would want quite a hefty wage To come to Arsenal. But this does suggest the fact that Cancelo's link, the fact that Castagna's link, that a fullback is on the agenda this summer. So we can take that away from it. Elsewhere, uh, Rhys Nelson looks as though he's uh, agreed a new contract with Arsenal, which is going to be signed when he returns from holiday, apparently. It will be until 2027, which means there's a four year deal. Uh, He'll earn around about £100,000 a week. And there are some suggestions that he's getting a £5 million signing on bonus, which has sent people wild. It's like Eddie and are rewound. Do you remember when that was announced and everybody lost their minds about it and said, oh, my God, why are we giving him this type of money, etc., etc.? Well, again, it's still cheaper, and I always say this, it's still cheaper than going out and buying a new player. 100k a week for a winger playing at a, a top club in the Premier League is not mad money. $5 Five million signing on for you is still significantly less than what you would have paid to bring in someone else. What would you have got for five million? To would you have found a better player than Reese Nelson for five million? No. When you think that Mikhailo Mudrik cost a hundred, then the answer to that is no. Uh, so I'm happy about this. I'm happy that he's staying. And again, as I keep saying about Enquetti, I feel like I say this every show, this protects their sell-on values too. Doesn't mean they're both going to be at Arsenal Football Club for years and years and years to come. It just means um that they are. They are going to be now protected and are going to be sellable assets. And we've banged on for years and years and years about how bad Arsenal are at selling. Well, in order to sell effectively, you need to do things like this. Let's take some of your comments on Castagna, because I know a lot of you um, disagree with the idea of him coming. Um, Where is it? Uh, Chris Summer says. um, I respectfully disagree. I think he's talking about Cancelo here. I don't think he pushes Ben White out of the starting eleven, so I would rather we got someone with the potential to overtake Ben White, like a Fresneda or Sasha Bowie. The thing is, is that Joao Cancelo as a traditional fullback is better than Ben White. I'm sorry, he is. Ben White, though, is, of course, playing in this kind of hybrid role that really, really suits us and has done a wonderful job there. But what happens if Saliba gets injured, for example? Again, then we're not able... To push ben white inside if we don't have sufficient cover at right back and we can't trust in tommy asu so we need someone else to come in now fresneda could be on his way to dortmund we understand sasha bowie you're talking about 25 million 30 million pounds is what galatasaray said to be asking if you can get a full back in that can cover you for a year in the short term while you focus on and prioritize other areas for around about 10 million pounds that's why the timothy castagna thing appeals. I mean, look at Jorginho, right? Look at the Jorginho situation. The reaction from some of our fans when we signed Jorginho was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. It was laughable. He's come in. He's done a really good job overall. But this summer, it looks like Arsenal are quite happy to move him back on again. They're going to get back the £10 million, or at least close to it, for what they paid for him. And they've managed to bring him in, plug him in, fill in a couple of holes, give us some good performances as we continue to challenge for our goals. And our objectives. And and you know, we can move him on now. And, and it would be exactly what it was advertised as, which was a short-term fix. That could be the case with somebody like Castagna as well. Don't be so quick all the time to write off these players when the remit is is a small one, which is to come in and cover. You know, we we're not Manchester City. We're not gonna have a bench stacked of 50 plus million pound players. That's not gonna happen at Arsenal Football Club. So this is the reality of our situation. But anyway, um, Ben Will says Castagna is a subpar player for Arsenal. We're trying to be the top five best teams in the world, and people would be okay with Castagna. Man City wouldn't even give Castagna a look in. Man City signed Fabian Delph. Man City signed James Milner um, at a point. You know why? Because they were players that were going to come in and cover and, and plug holes. And also. We are not Manchester City, Ben. We don't have the resource that they do. Um, So, yeah. Anyway. Uh, What else we got? What else we got? What else we got? Um, Social Joins says Cancelo is rotten. Look at his track record. I don't know, man. Sometimes players fall out with managers, it's just the way it goes you know it's just the way it goes um look let me touch on a couple more pieces uh because i just want to get these out of the way before i forget them and they go out of my mind and then um we will uh we will go solely on the comments for a little while uh so keep the comments coming in keep the questions coming in if i could ask you as well uh before i take a really short actually i'll take a short pause after we do this bit as well Uh, please do leave a like on the video though Uh, we've not even got 100 likes on the board, but there's over 400 of you with me live right now across the multiple platforms. So let's up that. Let's get that sorted right away. Subscribe to the channel if your brand's spanking you, and if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. But another story that I wanted to talk about, Federico Chiesa being linked with a move to Arsenal. Now, I love Federico Chiesa. I think talent-wise, he is unreal. Think back to Euro 2020, which was, of course, played in Euro or was, of course, played in 2021, I should say. What a star. What a star. But he's had his fair share of injury problems, and that's put me off him dramatically. I know that's not the player's fault, and I know it sounds harsh and ruthless, but maybe that's what you need to be at the top end. And for that reason, as much as I love Federico Chiesa as a player, I'm not spending big money on him this summer. I'm just not. Um, and actually, the Reece Nelson deal suggests to me that the winger thing... Is something that we're going to look at later down the line rather than this summer, unless a really good opportunity presents itself. I really do believe that the Reece Nelson contract is a indication of the fact that we're going to just park that wing of stuff for a minute, focus on a couple of other key areas and then revisit it a little bit further down the line. If, of course, Reece Nelson doesn't cut the mustard. Chiesa's been back for a little while, hasn't really hit the heights of what he showed in the past, but it's understandable when you've been out for that long with a, an injury that severe. He has got two goals and two assists in his last five league games of the season for Juve, which is pretty good. But as much as I love the player, and I really do, he's direct, he can play anywhere across the front line. He's a real throwback at times, Federico Chiesa. I'm a big, big fan. I just can't, looking at that injury record and, and thinking about all the potential things that could go wrong. I just could not, if I were signing the check, sanction that deal based on what Juve are going to want for him. You know, so, um, yeah, it is a link. It is a rumor. It is being reported. But I don't see that one uh, coming, uh, coming, um, coming to fruition. Uh, Tom says um, the budget option if we can't get Rice and Kaisada would be to turn to versatile Tyler Adams from Leeds. Yes, I'm biased as a Yank. Tom, I'll be honest, I don't rate Tyler Adams. I really don't. Um, I think he plays well for the US national team. I think international football at this moment in time isn't of the same standard as elite level club football. I think that's that's been the case for quite a while. Um, I remember when we were initially really heavily linked with Tyler Adams and I said on this show that he wasn't for me. He was not the one that I wanted Arsenal to go out and bring in. I didn't think we could build a midfield around him. And having seen him come to Leeds again, I take into consideration just like with Castagna, that you're talking about a struggling side, but I just don't see it from Tyler Adams. Not at the very highest level. I think he's he's a good player. I think he's a mid-table Premier League player, and and that's about it for me. And I know again, I'm going to get pel- I'm going to get pelts for a lot of things I've said on today's show, but that's genuinely how I feel about Tyler Adams, and it's not a new opinion. That's based on the recent struggles of Leeds United. It is a it is an opinion I've held for a few years about Tyler Adams. wasn't massively sure about him prior to his move to Leeds into the Premier League, and his spell there hasn't done anything to convince me otherwise. Saw him live a few times this season for Leeds as well. Never came away that impressed. I got to be honest. Um, so that's not one for me. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Kurt says, if we got Castagna for 15 million or less, might be good cover for that right back and left back position. That's the thing, right? You're talking about someone who maybe isn't at the highest, highest level or certainly isn't at the highest, highest level, but someone who's versatile enough to be able to um, to support the squad, which is important now with, of course, Champions League football returning. Halo Matea says, Harry, nobody seems to talk much about James Ward-Prowse, who I think is a quality player, maybe the Premier League's best free kick player. What do you think? I think he's a great set-piece taker, but outside of that, I don't think his overall game is good enough. Um, And I think that's why he's probably not going to get the mega move that maybe some people feel he deserves. He should get a move away from Southampton. Um, But top, top level, not for me. Not for me, Uh, for those reasons. What else have we got? Um... What else have we got? Noonan says it's all about clever recruitment as well. stanya seems like lazy scouting. I don't think it is lazy scouting. I think it's the opposite. I think it's looking at, I think it's been able to see through a crowd. Basically it's been able to hear through the noise. It's been able to understand despite all of the noise around Leicester city and the problems they've had that actually the player on an individual level has a skill set that could be of use to us. That coupled with the fact that given they've been relegated, there's an opportunity to do a bit of business for a decent amount of money. I don't think it's lazy scouting at all. I I disagree with that. I I get why people say that stuff. Well, they've been relegated. So let's just go and pick someone out from there because it'll probably be cheaper and the player will be desperate to move on. But I don't see it as as that cut and dry. I've got to be honest. Um, Halo says. Selling Tierney and buying Castagna, that would take Arsenal's level down. I'd agree that Castagna's not as good a fullback as Kieran Tierney. But in terms of his style, would he be a better fit? Because let's be honest, Kieran Tierney hasn't looked good for Arsenal this season. I'm sorry. People don't want to admit it because they love him and he walks around with Tesco carrier bags and all the rest of it. But he hasn't been as good as or he hasn't looked as good as he has in previous seasons because he's just not been able to fit into the system. Um... Farris says, uh, Harry, they were saying the same things about Akanji. I trust Mikel. What else have we got? Uh, Pesci uh, highlighting Locatelli. Um, Stephen Bavistock says, big up, Harry. Hope you're well. Question for you in the chat. Would you go for Castagna if it means that we can get Caicedo and Rice or only get one of them and go and get Cancelo or Fresneda, etc.? I would take Castagna if we got Caicedo and Rice. Absolutely. Because I'm not sure about Fresneda, for starters. You know, he's a kid, got potential, great. But I always say this, potential, unless you go on and fulfill it, means absolutely nothing. As for Joao Cancelo, I really like Joao Cancelo, but I agree that there are risks to to this. His age is not ideal in terms of making a big investment. His wages are going to be off the chart, you'd imagine. So... I have doubts about both of those players, Cancelo and Fresneda. I don't have any doubts about Caicedo and Rice improving us as a team. So, um, yeah, I, I, w- I would go for that in that scenario. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, MM says, um, don't you think we should go for Pavard rather than Castagna? He's played in the CL and can play centre-back. Yeah, but if you're losing Tierney, which is a, a real possibility, then the chances are that you are going to need cover in the left-back position as well. Zinchenko's injury record last season wasn't great either, was it? So there is a chance that you're probably going to need someone who can fill in at left-back. If you can find someone that can kill both those birds with the same stone, then maybe that makes a bit of sense as well. Also, Pavard's got to want to come. The investment in Castagna isn't going to be high. You know, You're not going to pay a lot of money, you wouldn't think, and you're not going to pay him as much as you'd pay Pavard, who's coming from an elite-level club in salary either. So I think this is a much more cost effective um, thing as well, which obviously plays into it. I keep saying, listen, we've all been so impressed by what Arsenal have done over the last couple of years with regards to spending, pushing the boat out, trying to get players in that would elevate the level, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Great, fantastic. But it it ain't gonna last forever. And I keep saying that and I keep getting shot down for saying it or called negative or saying people say that I'm defending the club, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. One of the one of the things that has got on my nerves more than anything over the last 18 months, I would say. And listen, I get a lot of shit online. There's a lot of great people that watch and listen to this podcast who I absolutely adore. There's a lot of great people on Twitter. There are a lot of trolls as well that will pop up in your DMs under a dodgy account, God knows what, and they'll call you every name under the sun. For about 18 months, I've been accused of being on the payroll, being someone that only says positive things about the club because I'm desperate for a job there. All of this nonsense. No, I said what I saw. I said what I feel, which is that Arsenal moving in the right direction and to bear with them and to bear with Mikel Arteta and the process, if you like, because him and Edu, for me, are doing a fantastic, fantastic job. And look where we are now. We are going into a summer talking about how we can take the next step to win the league. We're no longer talking about getting back in the Champions League. We're talking about how we can win the league, how we can overcome a side that have just won the fucking treble that's the the way the level has been pushed up at arsenal football club and they've done that they've achieved that by being smart in the transfer market overall there've been a few poor decisions a few misses but it's always hit and miss so yeah you know let um let let's trust in them let's let's believe in them and and if they feel that they need to kind of Balance the books a little bit, or there is a a ceiling with regards to what they can spend, and they have to go for a cheaper, slightly less glamorous option in a certain position. But in exchange for that, are able to go that extra mile in maybe a more key area. Then that's something we're going to have to just live with. Uh, Big thank you to Tom uh, for his very kind chat donation. He says keep up the great work, even though I disagree on Adams. Listen, it's it's absolutely fine to disagree. I just personally. And I recognize that when you're talking about how much you, and I say in quotes, rate a player, a lot of it will be down to preference. A lot of it will be down to the player's style. I'm big on style. If a style doesn't appeal to me, then it doesn't, you know, I can see the effectiveness of those players, obviously. But with Tyler Adams, I, I I see a good midfielder. I don't see a top midfielder or the potential of a top, top midfielder. And I feel like that's what we need now to go to the next level. Um. Yorgos says, after Rice, Cancelo should be the priority. He can play in an elite level in both fullback positions and Ben White can get games in the centre of defence. I don't overly disagree with that. I'd I'd put Caicedo ahead of Cancelo, but I like Cancelo, as you guys have known uh, for a little while now. Um, What else have we got? Um, Damien Kelly says, we want wing-backs that can actually defend. Uh what else have we got? Um let's see what else I'm gonna take a couple a couple more. Um Caleb's asking me to give my ideal signings. We've got a show on that coming out this week, so I'm not gonna spoil it. Uh, I'm gonna literally sit down and list off the players that I want Arsenal to sign. Um Mohit says, What qualities do you think Castagna has? Very comfortable on both feet. I think he's got a good Understanding of the game. I think technically he's pretty good, comfortable with it, comfortable playing out. And I think he's incredibly fit in terms of how he gets up and down the football pitch. So he'd be a solid bet, I think, personally. Um, much better than Cedric, much better than that category. I think he's in the bracket above that. And I think, again, it's one of those where he's got lost a little bit in the, the shit at Leicester City. Um, 18 months ago, people would have said he was a pretty good fullback. And, and you've got to remember as well, right, my opinion on Timothy Castagna is not just based on his time at Leicester City. It's based on his time at Atalanta prior to that, where I saw a hell of a lot of him. So I know this player a lot more than maybe your average Premier League football fan would. Um, I understand his way a lot more than your average Premier League football fan would because I've followed his career for a longer period of time. I'm not saying I know better than everyone or anything like that but I understand what his game entails. I understand what his qualities are, what his weaknesses are too, because there are some of those as well. Um, and uh, and I think, I think I can safely say that it would be a safe bet as long as the money was right. And look, when we do my ideal transfer window, you're going to find that there are a few players for me that sit in different categories. So there are players like, your Rices and your Caicedos, who sit in that top, top bracket where I would happily overspend just to acquire them because I know that they can make the world of difference. Then there are players like Cancelo, who I think are great players. That's without question. But there has to be a point where it doesn't make sense anymore financially. So they fall into the category of if the price is right, I would do it. And then there's players, I'm sorry, like Ivan Fresneda, who I don't have a clue whether that's going to work or not. Sasha Bowie, I don't have a clue if that would work or not. And so if you're talking about paying 20, 25, 30 million pound on them guys, I'm like, what are we doing here? That's not a safe bet at all. And if you think that is a safe bet, how can you then knock the idea of Timothy Castagna for 10 million pounds when Sasha Bowie and even Fresneda, yeah, they might be young and they might have potential based on a few clips you've seen, but Sambi Lekonga was young and had potential and came here and didn't impress and probably will leave the club. Nuno Tavares came in and impressed for a bit and then went to shit and has gone to shit at Marseille as well and will probably leave the club for a nominal amount of money. Remember Runison, like we, there is examples of Arsenal going out and bringing in some of these young players, paying decent amounts of money for them and then just not being good enough so every transfer has an element of risk I love saying that it's my catchphrase in every transfer window but I just don't understand why some people fail to see the risk with certain players and, and really sort of um, homing on it with others right look anyway I'm gonna leave it there um, thank you all so much for tuning in uh, really really do appreciate it there's over 400 of you watching us live right now which is amazing Uh, If we could drive the likes up to as close to 200 as possible, uh, that would be great. Like, subscribe, all the rest of it. And I will see you guys uh, very, very soon. Definitely tomorrow, um, unless we get some transfer news or, or something significant that deserves our attention later on today. I'll catch you all next time. Until then, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.